Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real-Time Enterprise channel on Vantic TV, our video and podcast series of interviews with thought leaders and practitioners in digital transformation and the real-time enterprise. My name is Blaine Matthew, and I'm Chief Marketing and Product Officer at Vantic. Note that you can reach either myself or the guest by sending a note to realtime at vantic.com, and we will be more than happy to follow up. If you are watching the video version of this interview, you will have noticed that we've updated our background. Love it or hate it, please send any feedback to me at realtimeadvantic.com. Now I'm excited today to continue our series of discussions on smart cities. In case you missed it, you might wanna check out our recent interview with smart cities consultant, Daniel Abadovsky. To help us dive even deeper into that topic, joining me today is Tony Batalo. Tony is currently head of IT at the city of San Leandro in the San Francisco Bay Area. Prior to joining the city of San Leandro in 2014, Tony had a long career in IT management and consulting and as a bachelor in information systems and also an MBA from the UCLA Anderson School of Management. Thanks for the time, Tony. Let's have a good chat today. Oh uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, Blaine. Absolutely. And I really get the feeling you're, we're in a smart city environment right now. Your whiteboard's full of complex uh, notation and papers everywhere. You're, you're really in running the city here, I could tell. <laughs> uh, well, it's, uh, the problem is if, if you don't uh, look at it every day, you forget what you're trying to, to tell yourself. And after a while, you can't make any sense. I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. So tell me, Tony, what, what is your target date for when San Leandro will be a smart city? Oh, well, I think, um, I mean, the, the answer will probably disappoint you, but uh, I don't think there's any like, you know, switch that you just turn it and then suddenly now you're a smart city. And um, I think it's much more of a, you know, an overtime building process. And it's kind of an evolution of cities, if you will. So you know, once upon a time, cities put stop signs and traffic signals and that just evolved to how they manage traffic. And soon it'll be adaptive, smart traffic signaling everywhere and, and it'll just be a natural progression. Right. I had a feeling that was going to be your answer. So, so tell me a tomorrow, little bit. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Okay. Tomorrow, that's your deadline. The mayor has told you by tomorrow. Yeah. You're, you're going to be smart. Yeah. Yes. So maybe that's, that's, a, that's a great opener though. So riff a little more on what the term smart city means to you. When, when you use the term or one of, you, one of your colleagues talks about smart cities and smart city initiatives, what, is that, what does that symbolize to you or what does it mean? Well, that's, I mean, it's, it's unfortunately, it's one of those things where um, the hype cycle is far surpassed, you know, the actual hmm. real world. Um, and, and so part of the problem with that is that, um, people kind of burn out on the term, you know? And so now when I talk to colleagues that are in public works or they're in the police department or, you know, some other city function, uh, and you say, well, here's our smart city roadmap. They kind of roll their eyes. Like, really? oh, here we go with the smart city stuff, because it's almost abstract. You know, it's just, it's up here. It's smart city, abstract stuff they get thrown at. Um, and there's a ton of hype, a ton of attention on it, but not a lot of 
outcomes. Mm. So I try to cut through that. Um, I think term still has meaning, but in order to cut through the hype, you've got to go down to, to what really mean, what really matters for their jobs and their outcomes they're trying to achieve. Hmm. And uh, by the way, what you just said strikes me as the mirror of what's going on with the term digital transformation on the business side, right? Everybody talks about digital transformation so much that nobody knows even what it means anymore, you know, fundamentally. It could mean anything you want it to mean and, or nothing. So a lot yeah. of eye rolling at that term as well. So I think yeah. there's a, a very similar, you know, smart cities are everything. They can do whatever you want there, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. but, but um, we've done a lot of work in San Leandro to, to make it tangible. Well, tell us about that. So give us some, if you can, give us some real world examples of what you've done in San Leandro. Sure. So we, we just completed a fiber optic master plan and smart city strategy, which was a years long um, strategic planning process. And it's, it's like a consulting engagement. We worked with a consultant to do it. Um, but the objective was to define for ourselves what smart city means. Uh, and it's connected back to the city's, um, you know, the city council's goals. So we start with the, the, the things the city council wants to achieve, better public safety, better partnerships with um, you know, local community-based organizations in the schools, uh, better transportation, um, fixing roads, right? I mean, if you, you do surveys and you ask people what do they care about, they care about potholes and roads and the kind of meats and potatoes of, of cities. And so you've got to connect that back to smart cities and come up with a plan that addresses that. So how does a fiber optic master plan relate to potholes and roads and, and some of the other things you were talking about? So the fiber, the way we framed it was we, we have this municipal fiber network in San Leandro that connects all of our city facilities. It connects 70% of our traffic signals. Um, and we're increasingly putting more and more technology on it, like public Wi-Fi, um, like our street lights that are now in a street light network. Um, and, you know, we'll expect to have even more as we look at IOT and smart parking. Um, so the, the, the fiber network, is the building blocks of the smart city. It's the physical infrastructure that the smart city is layered on top of. So you start with that and you start with, we've got this asset, but how do we manage it? Who's, con who's in control of it? What are the procedures and processes we have to expand it, to fund it, invest in it, maintain it? Uh, where are the areas that we see uh, that we need to expand? where we need to continue where, where you know, we're going to go after grant opportunities or funding opportunities, or we're going to fund through the general fund and um, capital improvements. So that was really the genesis for building this fiber optic master plan is that this is the core network on which all of these smart city applications will be layered. Hmm. And without that, without, I feel like without starting with that fundamental building block, uh, you're just in the hype realm. You're just talking about the cool stuff and the, and the sexy stuff, uh, but you're not going to be able to really drive the results because it's not a cohesive umbrella, like a unified master plan. So that, that was the approach that I took with building it. Now, I would have thought that uh, that's really interesting and makes a lot of sense. I would have thought that, you know, the fiber optic network would have had to have been built and operated by the AT&Ts or, you know, a Verizon's of, of the world. And maybe you connected into their network to run smart city uh, operations or initiatives. But, but are you saying that San Leandro has built their own fiber network or ex ex describe this in a little bit more detail? 
Sure. So we, we, we have a, a municipal network. So it's a municipal fiber network, 21 miles of conduit and fiber optics that the city owns and operates and maintains. Um, and we have connected, as I said, all of our facilities. We partnered with the school district and connected all of the schools. Uh, we have public Wi-Fi expanding throughout the community and some, something like you know, two, three terabytes of data are being transmitted on that free system every, every month now with 13,000 unique devices connecting in a city of 90,000 people. Um, that's a lot of connections. Uh, wow. So, so anyway, the, the, the point is, yeah, we do have our own network and, but it had been kind of um, driven by transportation and then some, some broadband planning that happened in 2012. And the idea with the, the master plan was, you know, let's take this up a level and build this kind of unified plan that stitches all these different functions together and looks at it through the lens of what does it mean to be a smart city? And I, I'm a huge proponent of cities defining for themselves what it means to be smart because the problems in San Leandro are gonna be different than the problems in Jaipur, India, for instance. Right. Um, so they need to, they're gonna look different. And you, so you can't just apply one label or one, you know, here's the threshold and if you go over that, you're smart. Uh, what it means to be smart in Jaipur is different. And, hmm. and that takes local planning. Yeah, That's, uh, that makes perfect sense. Give us some examples of other initiatives that you're hang now hanging off the uh, fiber optic network. So what are some other things that are currently in place and then maybe talk about some of the, the upcoming ones? Okay, uh, well, the, so after public Wi-Fi, the, the most recent one was a smart streetlight network. So the, the idea was convert all the streetlights. We have about 5,500 streetlights in San Leandro that the city owns. Uh -huh. Half of those are on metal poles that the city owns to pull, and the other half are on wood poles, which are owned by the utility company in, the, uh -huh. in Northern California, that's PG&E. Um, so, but the streetlights themselves, you know, they might be off the wooden pole, um, or we have a big metal pole that we own. But combined, it's 5,500 lights, and that's a lot of energy it takes to, to run those lights. And in a traditional network, every light is just, you know, it's a series of, of lights. <laughs> and there's no central control or there's no, um, they just have a sensor on them and they turn off and they turn on. That is a binary system. Uh, and they have independently. So a smart streetlight network ties all those together, as you can imagine, just like a home network, um, where all your streetlights now are, are in a wireless you know, mesh network and they all talk to each other and you can set policies to say, hey, when I come home, turn on the living room lights and when it's dinner time, turn on the dining room lights. And when it's nighttime, turn all the lights off except my night light outside. My, you know, and so now we have that same control, but think of that citywide. So you can, mm -hmm. you can dim lights in a certain section. You can have lights be bright down certain arterials or corridors. Um, and what drove that was an LED conversion that will save some $8 million in energy costs over the next 15 years. Mm -hmm. So that savings funded the smart streetlight network. But in order for those streetlights to work, you know, they're, they're, they're essentially an IoT network wirelessly, but then they backhaul on the city fiber to a server here in City Hall. Um, so the, the fiber network, again, is the fundamental building block for that. Hmm. 
Very interesting. Can you give us another example of an initiative, smart city initiative you're driving? That was, that was a cool one. Yeah. Um, so another one is, so this one is actually the one, it, it's a little more in the application space and the services space. Um, but the one that I think is really key and, and it's one that's near to my heart is around digital inclusion. And so this is this concept that, um, you know, we're building all these new services, we're, we're, we're building online services, we're trying to, this is our digital transformation, Blaine, mm -hmm. is the city's trying to make as many of their forms and everything accessible and online so you don't have to come to City Hall and stand in a line with some paper-based thing that you print it out. Um, and so we're trying to, to get, go away from that and digitize as much of this as possible. Um, but if you don't have a computer at home or you don't have internet service because it's too expensive or you can't afford it, um, you risk getting shut out. And so digital inclusion is the idea that we're gonna somehow make these services available for those that otherwise wouldn't be served. Um, so what we've done there is partner with some community-based organizations to develop, um, like one is a surplus computer donation. So every time we replace computers, now we donate them to a community organization that refurbishes them and then gives them away to members of the community. And the other is working with um, some, you know, low income housing developers and things like that, uh, property managers to, to even bring in, you know, free Wi-Fi into those areas, which again, will connect to our, um, our fiber network and utilize. We have a gigabit internet connection. We have lots of bandwidth to give away. So it's a supply chain. It's like, where, where do people need the bandwidth and how can I get it from city hall to there? Wi-Fi and the infrastructure underneath is the way to do it. So it's, it's that building that supply chain to give away bandwidth where you need it uh, and working with low income housing developers is, is a natural way to do that. Really, really interesting. Are you, uh, would you, you, I know you talk to a lot of other city CIOs and heads of IT. Would you say San Leandro is ahead of many uh, other cities that you speak to or where are you in this transformation which never ends? or becoming a smart city relative to maybe some of your colleagues and, and comparables? Um, well, I wouldn't, I, I mean, I can't say where we are. We've won some awards. Um, we've been recognized. Um, so we certainly are, are um, on the map. Um, mm. And I think that's a testament to some of the stuff we're doing and outside people recognizing that something's happening in San Leandro. Um, but I think it, Maybe we just, for me, I just spend a little bit more time thinking about this. Even the, the philosophical question, what is a smart city? Yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking about it, trying to come up with it. Um, and I think it's that, that thought about it, you know, that leads to these outcomes. Um, so there's a more concerted effort. And I, I want to give a lot of credit um, because it's not me. I mean, it's the fact that our public works director, Debbie Pollard, is so forward thinking and so innovative. And our community development director, Tom Liao, is so collaborative and, and wants to bring everyone together. And our police department is super tech savvy. Uh, I mean, they've got all kinds of technological aspirations, whether it's um, AI and robotics and drones and um, lots of stuff like that. And so it's this kind of environment that I mean, maybe, maybe there's something Maybe we have a secret ingredient there in San Leandro, but I, I think it's, it's a willingness to be very collaborative 
um, that drives it because it can't just be me, you yeah. know, yeah. ultimately it's, it's gotta be these city functions have to adopt this. Now I notice who you didn't list in that list of people you're collaborating with are any politicians. What are the, you know, what are the role of politicians in, in driving or being involved in smart city initiatives or are these primarily, uh, you know, staff initiatives or how, what is the, in general, how do you describe the role of how politicians fit into this, uh, into, into these initiatives? Oh, you're going to get me in trouble, Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm sure it's, uh, it was just, uh, just an interesting reflection of obviously the folks you listed, you're the doers, you're the people that are building these systems and implementing them and running them. And then, and, but then at the same time, there's the political side of it, the political leadership. And so explain how, to what degree they're involved in, in these things. Yeah. And it, it is, it is a shift. I mean, when you come and I did work in the, in the private sector, I worked um, for a global biotech company, had a lot of exposure to innovative, an innovative company that had massive growth. I mean, from the time um, they started, they had a couple hundred employees in their South San Francisco headquarters to um, 2,500. And that's just a couple of years and just wow. explosive growth as their drug became a blockbuster. Yeah. And um, so I, I know those pressures. Uh, the, Public sector is different. And, and what I'm getting at is this idea of the political body and then the administrative staff, you know, that kind of execute everything. And um, learning those roles is, is important and learning where, where, you know, how to balance those. And, but I'll say that um, technology, of course, is something that politicians are very interested in. They recognize the power of, they recognize the power both politically, but also from a policy standpoint of what technology can do to drive things forward. And we have some pretty um, tech savvy uh, politicians in San Leandro. I think small cities tend to have um, pretty, pretty consistent politics, meaning that we don't have like a lot of friction, you know, this is small, you know, we're a small city and everyone tends to more or less agree on where to go. There are some issues that can be a little more controversial, but otherwise uh, everyone supports technology and that helps me. They, they're all, they all want technology solutions. They all will support them. Um, but we don't have, I think in an environment maybe like in uh, San Francisco where technology has almost become a bad word politically. You know, because of the um, the housing things and the, the, I don't know if you're familiar with the Google buses and all that where riders are out there, you know, trying to turn over the Google bus because these guys in a, are, you know, $8 cups of coffee and all this stuff. And so there's a lot of controversy and it's almost gotten to a point where, like I said, tech is, is a, a politician doesn't want to talk about technology. Uh, well, here we're still very much uh, like let's say pro-tech, meaning that, that tech is still a good thing and we're still looking to reap the benefits of the Silicon Valley economy. Um, so that support certainly helps me drive the results that I'm going after. Um, but it's very much, there's a very much, you know, there's the, the political waters and then there's the administrative staff and um, we, we, are, we are 
try not to ever drink those waters. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense, makes sense. So that's the collaboration between the political side and the administrative side. What about, uh, you know, collaboration with businesses or enterprises, so-called public-private partnerships? Uh, to, what, to what degree do those play a role in smart city initiatives? Oh, I think, I think they're, um, some of them can be invaluable um, when you find the right partner. And you know what? There's there's transactional relationships that are more traditional. You know, I'm buying a service from you. Um, you may go above and beyond the service that you deliver to me, and you may be willing to really work with me on that to to deliver because you have a vested interest in the outcome too. But they're still transactional in nature. Um, what makes it rise, at least in my opinion, to the level of a public-private partnership? is there's some form of trade-off. So the city is giving up something, some, some asset um, in exchange for the partner who's going to try to monetize it. Um, that creates a, a real public-private partnership. Um, so in our case, uh, going back to our fiber network, in 2011, the city formed a public-private partnership with a company called Lit San Leandro to sell broadband service and compete with AT&T and, right. um, and the way the city did it was, okay, you can have access to our conduit mm -hmm. and, you know, we will, um, you know, not, not charge you a, a, a rental fee on that conduit until, you know, you become profitable. And in exchange, they, you know, started selling service to businesses as an economic development tool. That's kind of a structure of a, of a public-private partnership, in my opinion. Um, now, that's another one of those terms where everybody calls their, their deal a public-private partnership, right? We sign a contract and yeah. public-private partnership. Um, but the way I look at it is, is there's, um, there's some sort of get, an exchange that happens for it to really become that. And I think there are a lot of examples of public-private partnerships um, where they're driving the smart city solutions. I think the cities um, can invite partners through RFP processes or you know, just through some natural exchange, whether it's some contractual exchange. Um, and then you know, they can, I know San Jose, for instance, waives their insurance fees if you do a demonstration. So if you come in and you do a pilot um, we will waive our insurance requirements to make it easier for you to come work in a city. Um, and there are ways to create those partnerships. The STIR program, Startup in Residence, is another great example of that. And that was started in San Francisco and they spun that off into a nonprofit called City Innovate. We, we participated it in 2016 and 17, uh, but now it's nationwide. And they have something like 35 or 40 cities participating this year. And the idea is startups come in, they, you know, cities develop a challenge, invite startups to come in, they get matched, and they, they engage for 16 weeks to develop a solution, and there's no financial transaction. So there's no risk to the city. Hmm. Um, it's only at the end, after the so solution is developed, that the cities say, okay, yes, we want to go into a contract or we don't, and then they negotiate that individually. But the idea is incentivize the private sector to come in, because you've got this, you know, huge market the smart cities market could be i mean you've probably seen the forecast of trillions whatever yeah, yeah. um 
just in the, in the United States alone, uh, between the federal government, state government, and local government, we spend almost $200 billion on IT every year. So that's a huge market to crack into. Yeah. So you can use that to incentivize the private sector to come in and kind of shift some of the risk. So like cities, ultimately, we don't want to take taxpayer money and invest it in a lot of, quote, innovation that may or may not deliver results. That could become a that could blow up in your face. The last thing you want to be is on the, the head front page of the newspaper yeah. with your multi billion multi million dollar innovation program that you know didn't do anything. Right. Um, so so one of the things that cities can do is to shift that risk to their private sector partners. I think that raises to the level of public private partnership when the when the private sector is willing to accept some of the risk in exchange for either cracking into the market, uh, developing a new service that they could then turn around and, and sell to all the nearby cities, or perhaps monetize an asset that the city itself is not in a position to. Um, and I think, you know, they can be extremely powerful, but they're not all the same, and it takes creating a really good partnership. Yeah. You know? So when it's more you, than just a vendor giving the city a discount on, on the services. It's really about maybe potentially creating a new model for how they could work together. Yes, absolutely. And then, and then the city being willing to um, go beyond a traditional transaction as well, like um, help, you know, help develop this, put staff in there that, you know, um, will test it and beta test it and provide feedback, um, stuff like that. I mean, that's where you start to see this raising to the level of a true partnership. And, um, but the market is so nascent, you know, it's, it's so new that those opportunities are there. And we have the next probably three, four, five years where partners between cities and private sector can create new markets um, through these types of innovative relationships uh, and then spawn those and become, they'll take over a big slice of the pie. Really, really interesting. So cities are probably known as being the most agile level of government compared to state and then federal governments where people, you know, talk incessantly about how uh, they're not the most efficient or, or agile. Having said that, I'm sure there are some, you know, there are some ways for even cities to increase their agility, their ability to keep up with all these technology changes, these evolving models. Any thoughts on how cities can, and stay or become more agile? Well, I think, you know, um, or do you think they're already very agile? Actually? No, no, no. I think, I think we're all pretty bureaucratic. I mean, it's, it's, a, you know, by nature, um, people will point to procurement and say, Oh, well, procurement's so really hard. And, you know, they have, they have a mandate, you know, people in procurement are there to protect public funding from, corruption and profligate spending and all the other stuff. And so they have all these rules in place in order to try to achieve that. And it's important to understand that before you just bag on procurement, they all they take too long. Um, you need to understand why they have those procedures in the first place. But once you do that, once you understand it, once you know why they're doing what they're doing, um, then you can start to maybe innovate a little bit. You know, say, well, do, do we need to have the same level insurance requirements 
on all of our projects, whether it's a $5 million road improvement project or it's a $5,000 IT product, soft, software project. Do we need to apply the same level of scrutiny on the insurance? Uh, you know, maybe not. Um, can we have a streamlined process for things that are under a certain threshold? It's like an auto approval. Um, but you first have to, to understand why they have those rules in place in order to do that. And I think um, cities are able to, to get there a little faster because um, we tend to be a little smaller. Most cities, you know, you have several big cities, you know, but, but most cities, 80% of cities are less than 200,000 people. Um, and as, as a result, it's easier to just go across the hall and talk to whoever it is in finance and maybe work out with them something and build that internal trust. Yeah. Um, so I, but I still, I, I do think there's a lot of it. It takes somebody saying, this is important to me. This is a priority for me. I am going to, to connect, build these relationships and trust and have the goodwill of all of my colleagues um, in order so that to, to have them work with me on this. Yeah. You gotta be a good internal partner. And so part of, part of the role of IT is this, you know, we're, we're more and more doing this external stuff, smart city stuff, but our core is still internal service. And so if we're not delivering, if we're not fixing your computer when it's broken, if we're not making sure that the email is always up and, you know, your, your network, your connection is fast and, you know, you feel secure and you can log into your computer and it doesn't take, you know, an hour for you to get in because of all of our scripts that are running in the background. Um, if all that's taken care of and you've got a high satisfaction level, um, then you build the credibility with your partners because they know you deliver. So when you go to them and say, hey, can we look at the procurement process? I've got some ideas. They say, oh yeah, sure, what, what's on your mind? Um, but I think maybe, I mean, my experience is it can happen in a smaller organization easier than when you get to a place where you've got a lot of um, inertia. Yeah. Then it's hard. I, I couldn't imagine trying to go into, you know, a county, for instance, which is a large bureaucracy, um, and and try to do it as quickly as we did here. Hmm. That's not to say you couldn't. I mean, there are a lot, I know I know John Walton and several county leaders that are doing it, but I think it's uh, it'd be a more intense process. Hmm. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Well, thank. That's really insightful. So this is one of the favorite, my favorite parts of the conversation where I ask the guest, uh, is there an area of conventional wisdom where you, you'd like to call bullshit on, on what people are thinking? So you think m most folks are thinking X and you actually think Y. Any, any area where you buck conventional wisdom in uh, smart cities, technology, or any of those areas? <laughs> um, I think the one that, that I, I, and I, I've, written about this and, and, and I um, certainly am an advocate for is a more that incremental innovation is okay. Everyone chases breakthrough innovation and talks about these, you know, transformations and how we're going to, everything's going to change and it's going to be, you know, all these, you know, and, and what they're talking about is the promise of technology, but not necessarily the, technology and the nuts and bolts itself I'm talking about the promise of it and i try not to get into that area because again it goes back to this abstract layer where now you're just now you're just you know mr future you're just mr hype 
you know, and, and that's a dangerous place to be if you want to actually get things done. Um, so, so the bullshit I would call is this idea that the only innovation that matters is breakthrough innovation or that it's not really innovation if it's not somehow transformative. Um, I'm more of an advocate of incremental innovation and improvements and, you know, seeing, making a small change, making lots and lots of small changes everywhere you can, every opportunity you can, you, you work, you bring everyone in and listen to all these ideas and make all these little small changes. And my belief is that over time that adds up to a breakthrough. Suddenly we're a pretty innovative, agile city. Well, it took years of all these little small improvements and everybody feeling like, hey man, I could, I could tweak my process just a little bit and make it a little better. And it worked and they listened to me. Um, and over time you become, you know, an innovative organization. So, so my belief is um, innovation, incremental innovation is just as important, if not more for the outcomes than chasing after the breakthrough innovation. Hmm. Very, very interesting. That's a great thought. Any uh, uh, smart city related predictions for 2019? What do you think is going to develop in 2019? Um, well, I think, I think we'll see more adoption. You know, I think we're, we, that's, that's kind of where the gap is, is you don't have a lot of adoption right now. You know, there's a, there's a lot of technology out there. There's a lot of solutions. Uh, there's a lot of vendors that have, you know, things they're ready to sell, <laughs> but there's not a lot of adoption of those. And I think 2019, we'll start to see more adoption because it's only a matter of time before the, the cream starts to rise to the top. And, and by that, I mean, all this stuff is happening. All these cities that are experimenting with ideas, um, some of them are going to hit and they're going to, they're going to get, they're going to take off. They're going to get write-ups. People are going to take notice of them. They're going to say, oh, did you hear about what XYZ city did to fill potholes now? They got like a robot to fill their potholes. We need to, we need to get on that. Uh, and then you'll start to see that adoption. I just think it's a slower process maybe than people expected, you know, um, but it will happen. And I think yeah. it's just a matter of time. So I think 2019, you'll see more adoption. You'll see more solutions start to really resonate. Um, yeah. And by 20, 2020, you'll start to really see that shift happening. Hmm. That's um, the inflection point. Yeah. I, I think we're coming up on it. You know, it's just, we're cities. We're still slow. <laughs> uh, we're not that fast. Yeah. But but I do think that there are, are very viable solutions out there um, that will start to rise to the top. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Well, you've you've talked about some of them in the last ten minutes. But any final thoughts on key takeaways or tips for a city leader that's trying to drive the transformation of their city toward becoming a smart city? Um, yeah, I mean, the, my, my main things are to focus on outcomes, uh, look for partnerships, and those are partnerships, you know, across all sectors. So other cities, counties, other, you know, special districts, um, academics, as well as the private sector, uh, and, and try to, you know, learn from each other and, and collaborate. And one of the things I haven't touched on, but I think is going to be so much more important in smart city planning is regional collaboration, mm. looking, working across jurisdictions um, to look at problems regionally. And 
you know, one of the things cities, at least I, I have not seen, is they're not very good about recognizing their collective buying power. So city X goes off and buys a finance system, city Y goes off, buys a finance system, city Z goes off, and they might all end up with the same one, but they all go through their same procurement, their own procurement process and pay their own prices uh, and have their own installations and implementations. Um, and when you look at that, you say, well, the immediate thing is, why don't you guys all pool together and do one big procurement and use your buying power, shift some of the power to your end. Um, and so I think as we start to see more smart city solutions emerge, there will be a lot more regionality in those solutions than is currently. Right now, every, everyone's their own, a city is a silo and the city next to it has their own IT. And I think you'll start to see a flattening um, of, of cities working together so look for regional solutions, look for partnerships, uh, and focus on outcomes. Forget about the hype and just think about the, it may not sound sexy to fix potholes, but if you figure that out, you'll, you'll take off. Yeah. I like the robot fixing potholes that you mentioned. Well, <laughs> we got to get that thing spun up. I just made that one up. <laughs> so let's go get a patent. Hey, let's on, go buddy. do it. Do it. <laughs> well, that was great, Tony. I think that wraps it up for us. Thanks so much for joining us today. A really insightful conversation. Hi, thanks for the opportunity, Blaine. I uh, really appreciate it. And I'm glad to contribute whatever I, I can. Absolutely. And those interested in hearing more of Tony's thoughts can follow him on LinkedIn and also on Twitter at underscore T Batella. And of course, you can reach out to me anytime at realtime at Vantic.com. Thanks, Blaine. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, search for The Real-Time Enterprise on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you are already listening to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, please leave a rating or comment and let us know how you are enjoying the show.